So we're going to pick up where we left off last week as we've been in this series for a while now, In His Image. We're beginning to address some of the issues that we, what we see of what the meanings of these words are and get an understanding of that. But what we need to understand more than anything else is what Jesus' intention was. What was he here to do? He's here to set mankind free, no question about it, right? Free from what? Free from death, right? That we would have eternal life for him. When Jesus came, he was not trying to get a bunch of people to heaven. He wasn't showing us a path that we could just simply go to heaven and live a happy life floating around on clouds and playing harps. That wasn't what he was here to do. Because the heaven of which that we would go to if we were to die today is not the heaven of which that eternity will be. It was about spending eternal life with him. And on top of that, we've got to wrap our head around is what was God's original intent when he created mankind in the first place. He created mankind as his representative on the earth. We can clearly see that from the pages of scripture. When we look at scripture objectively and we begin to look at it, we say, okay, God created Adam to do what? Tend to the garden, grow it, expand it. It created him in his image, which means as his representative and his imager. You see time and again that you had a people or a people group representing God. When he told the Israelites to not take the Lord's name in vain, what was he saying? Live a life that means something. In other words, that you don't claim to be a follower of Yahweh and then go and do whatever. You had to be obedient to the covenant. When Jesus came on this earth, what did he do? He was the express image of the Father. We can see that clearly from Scripture. And then he continually, from time and time again, told his disciples that you are my disciples. And you go do the works that I did. And you go out and preach the gospel, and you go out and make disciples, and you go out and heal the sick, and you go out and cast out demons, and you go out and raise the dead. Why did he tell them all those things to do? Because those are things that he did. He said, you'll do those things and greater things than I will you do because I go to my Father. So we see from the pages of Scripture his intent for his disciples. Now, I know that there are people out there that will tell you this stuff. I'll stop, but that's not what the Bible says. See, it always comes back to Scripture. And that's the part we struggle with, because the world that we live in is consuming us. We are so consumed by carnality of this earth, this world that we are in but not a part of, that it overrides the reality of what God had said and intended. It's something that mankind has struggled with for millennia. We see in John chapter 15, we see what Jesus is laying out here. Verse 1. I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches, and he who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so that you will be my disciples. So Jesus is laying out something very clear here. He's the vine, we're the branch. The branch is connected to the vine, which means what? The life of the branch is getting out, or the vine is getting out to the branches. It is what keeps that alive. It is what creates the nutrients. It is what gives the essence of who it is to that branch. 
And he says that I am the vine and you are the branches. He says, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Fruit bearing was the whole purpose of what Jesus came here to do. In fact, that was the whole purpose of the original creation is that Adam would do what? Bear fruit. Expand the garden. He was to be the representative of God on this earth. So when we see that he's the branch and we are the vine, that should mean something to us. Now, we all know those words, and we say those words, and we, we, we regurgitate these things, but we don't really believe them. Because if we really believed them, then our lives would be so different. The word abide means to remain stable or fixed in a state. It's something where it's unmoving, it's unchanging. You just stay right here. So just stay right here with Jesus. Now, let me ask you this, okay? Because tomorrow night there's a national championship football game on. That I think most of us God-fearing po- folk are planning to watch, right? Go blue. I'm originally from Detroit. I have to cheer for Michigan. It's in the rules, even though I cheer against them all the rest of the year, okay? But, and I do that primarily because it drives the rest of my family insane, and I love that. So, <laughs> that's right. But, when we look at what's going on in our life, and if I were to tell you tomorrow night, Jesus himself is going to be right here. He's going to be here. He's going to sit down and he's going to answer your questions. He's going to pray for you. How many people do you think would show up if I said that and you believed it? How many people do you think show up? Who wouldn't show up? What happened with Jesus in his life was that everywhere he went, how many people followed him? Hundreds and thousands. And sometimes he'd have to get on a boat to get away from them all. And probably how he feels about us half the time. He's like, where's the boat? They're driving me crazy. But... If we actually believed what Scripture said, it would affect the way we live our lives. And the lives that we live will look completely different than what we have today. And the reason for that is because we are so carnally minded. See, when it talks about abiding in Him, it means to conform to. To accept without objection. To abide by a decision, if you will. You see, Jesus was trying to create a bunch of people that lived their lives in a way that represented him on this earth. And we have done that from a moral aspect. Because the church as a whole has a set of rules or regulations that they follow. There are things that Christianity traditionally has embraced and things that they have rejected. A list of do's and don'ts. Moral rules that that they will say, though, this was God's plan. And that's all well and good. But do you realize that when you're connected to the vine, that the fruit of the flesh will begin to wane and the fruit of the Spirit will begin to grow and that will happen naturally. But when Jesus said that you connect to me and you are my representative, was he simply talking about a list of ways that we live our life? No, not at all. Look at 1 John chapter 2. It says, now by this, and this is verse 3, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Now, how do we know how to do that? It's just very complicated. You ready? We go and look how he walked. Not did he sashay or did he skip everywhere he went. But how did he live his life? What did he do? Was there ever a moment that Jesus was disconnected from the Father? Maybe one. On the cross. As he's fulfilling what he came here to do. 
But outside of that, Jesus lived his life abiding in the Father. 1 John 4, 15 says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Doesn't Jesus also say that I and the Father are one? We see in John 17 that I am in the Father and the Father is me and we are in you. Don't we see that? So that's this abiding concept that he's actually here. He's actually in me. I'm actually the temple of the Holy Spirit. Like that's real. You see, everything we do when it comes to God, we do from a position of righteousness. When you are born again and you've been recreated into the image of God, we do everything from a right position with God. You can't be in a wrong position with God, but you can be out of fellowship. You can be not abiding, but you cannot be out of a right position with God. That's why it's so important that we don't take the Lord's name in vain. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but let me do whatever I want. Because if you're really abiding in me, then you'd be walking as he walks. The fruit of the Spirit will begin to grow. Does fruit try to grow, or does it just do it because it's connected to the vine? That's what happens. There are only two positions. There's right and wrong. We easily will drive to church each and every week, but we need to be driven to our knees each and every week. And the problem is that we are abiding in something, but it's either the world or it's in Him. There is no in-between. Everything Jesus said about Himself, He said about you and I. Everything He did, He did as an example to you and I. And that is what we have to understand. In John chapter 8, verse 12, it says, And Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So He just said that He's the light of the world. He's at the temple. This would have been during the Feast of Dedication, not the Feast of Dedication, this would have been the Feast of Tabernacles. And this was a big thing that goes on, and they'd have these big light towers and all of that, and they were called the, the temple, the light of the world, because you could see it from miles and miles away. And he said, I am the light of the world. And then in Matthew 5, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. You... But on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, he's, what he said about himself, he said about you. He came to give us an example of how to live our lives. Why? So we can make disciples, make people grow, and they come into the kingdom of God. Not so that we can bow our head, close our eyes, raise our hand, and get to heaven. That was, that's a byproduct of being right with God, is to spend eternity with Him. He came so that they would produce fruit. That was the original plan. So if we're not letting our light shine, whose fault is it? It's us. We've got Him bound up. If you understand truly what it means that He is in us, then if we move, He moves. If we speak, He speaks. If we lay on hands, He lays on hands. And so we've got to get that understanding down. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 is, You therefore have received Christ the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheats you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. Are we complete? Absolutely we are. There is nothing that we are lacking. See, this is the problem. The church today is waiting for God to do something, and God's probably sitting there like, would you all do something? There's never been a revival that didn't start with prayer. 
There's never been a revival that wasn't people driven to their knees. There's never been a revival that did not lead to repentance. There's never been one. We have a lot of things that we call revival. You know, I love it. I see it every summer that people schedule their summer revivals. I don't know how that works. Wouldn't it be wonderful? God, I'm going to give you from Thursday through Sunday of the second week of July. Revive now. That's what we try to do. We try to fit God into our calendar, and that's not what he said. Because if you're abiding in him, then you should be revived. And you should be taking that light and that life with you everywhere you go because you're complete we always look in the mirror and say boy if i could only speak better oh if i only look better oh if i can only do these things that has nothing to do with it it's letting him uh, live through you so as we began to get into this we had to ask this question do we really believe what god has said do we really believe what god has promised and we came to this in hebrews chapter 11 and are talking about this idea of faith. And we've got to get this understanding down of what faith is. So let's go here, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. For by it, by it is what the, the faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Why is it by faith? Because we were not there to see it. So we are trusting. The word faith simply means trust. We are trusting the words of those people who wrote this down before us into the pages of Scripture that what they said is true. You and I were not there to see it. So we believe them by faith. Verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained witness and that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts and, though it, uh, and through it he being dead still speaks. Why was it by faith? Because if you trust what God said, you bring the first fruit of that offering, that first fruit of the offspring. Of they, he'd bring the very first one, the absolute best, and give it you, not knowing if there would ever be another one born. You are trusting God. If you do what Cain did and you just kind of wait around and in the process of time bring an offering, that's not faith. That's simply action. That is the difference of somebody abiding in him and somebody who is going through the motions. Do you realize that you can attend church every day and not live in Him? Do you realize that you can read your Bible that 15 minutes every day and not be in Him? Do you realize that you can pray before every meal and not be in Him? That is going through the motion. Abiding in Him means that I do what He says. I believe what He has promised. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You see, this is the idea of faith. We can't please God without it. We must trust him. We must believe him. It's not simply hearing. It says in Hebrews that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And let me tell you something. Most of us in here have heard the word of God time and time again. But it's faith comes by hearing and accepting what you hear is truth. I believe God's word over what's going on in my present situation. I believe God's word over what a doctor says. I believe God's word over what the economists say. I believe God's word over anything that this world has to offer. That if I seek first the kingdom of God, then these things will be added unto me. If I believe that, then my life will reflect that. That nothing that I own is mine, it's just simply I'm a steward of it. And Lord, what do you want me to do with it? It's at your disposal. 
If I believe that, then I'll bring my children and I'll dedicate them to the church. If I believe what he says, that as often as you drink this cup and you eat this bread, you do it in remembrance. I'll do that. If, if I believe his word that baptism is important, then I'll do it. I'll have no problem with it. If I believe his word, then I will do certain things. If I believe his word, then I'll lay hands on the sick. If I believe his word, then Walmart is a, an evangelistic palace waiting for somebody to come in. If I believe his word. I mean, Peter just heading over to the temple. Dude's just sitting there minding his business looking for money. Most of us would have walked past him. Some of us would have handed him some money. Did that solve his problem? No. We're so caught up in the immediacy that we're missing out on eternity. We're missing out on the glory of what God has. And Hebrews 10, 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You see, that's the, the crux of everything, is do we really believe that when God promised and God said that he will be faithful to his word? Throughout the entirety of Hebrews chapter 11, you see person after person that believed that, and it was accounted to them righteousness. And it, it even says, time will not tell about Gibeon and, and all of these other guys. I mean, there are just so, so many of them. There wasn't enough time for all of them. And he just said, but these believed the promise, having not received it, knowing it was afar off. And you and I, we walk in here and we just take everything for granted. We have no problem believing God's word when it comes to salvation. Oh yeah, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. Well, what evidence do you have for that? Right? We just accept that, just all willy-nilly, no big deal. But what about the other things? The Israelites, that most of the Old Testament is about a nation, the nation of Israel. Most of that is talking about them believing or not believing his promises. Do you guys realize something when you think about this? Throughout the entirety of the book of Judges, you had a people group that apparently didn't believe what God said. Because God told them that if you do what I command, you'll be blessed. And if you don't, you'll be cursed. And they accepted the terms. And so they were living life and life was good. And then they begin to worship the Baals and go after other gods and do things they weren't supposed to. And so then God cursed them and brought judgment on them, which is why the judge would be raised up. Apparently they didn't believe, oh, God's not going to do it this time. And they also knew that if they would repent, that God would restore them. And he did. See, God is always faithful to his promise. But you and I are sitting here asking, God, when are you going to pour out your spirit? God, when are you going to move through me? God, when am I going to have goosebumps? God, when are you going to do? And yet he's sitting there waiting on you. Everything he's got is inside of you. It's time to walk in it. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 1 says, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. It says character. The Bible reveals God's character. Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Numbers 11, verse 21. It says, and Moses said to the people who am, whom I am among are 600,000 men on foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them? To provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them? To provide enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, Has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. Did it happen? Absolutely. Sent the flocks. I mean, that's the thing. Time and again, you have this, Okay, God, but how? How are you going to do this? And he did it. First Kings chapter 8, verse 54. 
And so it was when Solomon had finished praying all this prayer and supplication to the Lord that he rose from the, before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. And he stood and he blessed the, all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. There has not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us. As he was with our fathers, may he not leave us nor forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to himself, to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, which he commanded our fathers. You see, this is exactly the God that we worship. We understand who God is through how he's been revealed in the pages of Scripture. We claim it to be the word of God. We have to establish that, which we have, and we're not going to do that today. So for, for the argument's sake, we're going to assume that the Word of God is really the Word of God, but is actually the words of God. And without it, we have no standard of which to apply in order to say, well, who is God, and how does He move, and what is His will, and what expectations can I have from Him? If we didn't have that, it's just a matter of opinion. We'd just be out there, well, I think He does this, or I think He does that. I don't care what y'all think. I care what He said. And we have to have something, and we get to the pages of Scripture, and we're like, okay, this is God's character. This is how He moves. Remember in Psalm 103 where it says, forget not His benefits, and it says He heals all your diseases. And if we're under a better covenant with better promises, shouldn't that mean something to you and I? Shouldn't we have an expectation from God? Shouldn't we believe what God has said? Are we complete in Him? According to His word, we are. So if we're not walking as Jesus walked, we need to begin to ask ourselves the question, why? Why is it we do not see what Jesus saw and do what Jesus did and speak the way he spoke? Why is it? Well, we've got to understand something. First, let's read Titus chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested His word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. So God had promised before time began that man would live with God eternally. Correct? Yeah, and we see that actually in the pages of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. He created man in His image. Be fruitful, multiply. Subdue the earth. You know the whole story. Okay? That was God's original plan. Man screwed it up. Okay, God created a way. But we know that Jesus was his plan. The, the death of, of, of the Son of God was the plan for before time began. So before the foundation there, he knew this, this was going to happen. So he created man in spite of the fact that we were going to screw this whole thing up. And so that takes faith to believe the promises. But here's the thing I'm going to say, and I want you to hear me out when I say this. Okay, Because it's words that I'm about to tell you. Do not come easy when you've been in church a long time and you just don't think biblically. But do you guys realize that Jesus had faith in the Father? Now, if you know the word faith simply means trust or belief. He had to trust the Father because Jesus didn't come to earth as God. He came to earth as man. He has to, had to do what you and I have to do, and that is have faith in God. 
because he who promised is faithful. I saw a quote recently from Smith Wigglesworth, and he was talking about, this isn't an exact quote, but this was something like this. It says, the healing, he was concerned that the healing miracles were going to begin to diminish with the increase of modern medicine because now suddenly you have options and you don't have to trust God anymore. Would you say that was accurate? That's from the early 1900s. He said that. You see, what happens when you abide in Him is you develop a trust. You develop this relationship with Him. It's no different than if you abide with somebody else. I mean, if you've been living with your wife for 30, 40 years, I hope you trust her. Or you know that you can't. Right? I mean, when there's one cookie left, and that cookie was yours, and it disappeared, and you know your wife's obsessed with sweets, you knew what was going to happen. Right? See, it's the ability to trust. It's, it's, it's having faith in what God has promised. Believing that. Well, how do we get to the point where we believe it? Well, we got to do things that Jesus did. So I just said that you, that Jesus came to earth as a man who had faith in God. We have to understand that. If Jesus came down as God, then he wouldn't have been in all ways tempted like you and I because you can't tempt God. If Jesus had come down as God, he probably could have just snapped his fingers and all of this would have been over. But even in that, he followed the patterns of which he laid out himself in order to stay within the confines that he established. I know it gets a little intellectual constipation when you get too down this philosophical road. But understand this, that Jesus was a man who had faith in God. In Luke chapter 2, verse 51, it says, He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in heart. This is right after he'd run off and they, they lost him. Remember, they lost the Son of God for like two weeks or something like that. So, mother of the year. And verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. God does not increase in wisdom. God does not increase in stature. And God does not increase in favor with himself. He doesn't wake up one morning and be like, man, I really like me today. That's not how that works. What he's showing here is that Jesus came down as a man. It was supernatural, no question about it. But he came as a man because he grew in wisdom. That means he learned things. He grew in stature. That means he rose up and he grew in favor with God. That means he started in one position and ended in another. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay, so that's good, right? If it was in Jesus, is it not good enough to be in you? Of course it is. Who? Being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, of those in heaven and of those of earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So what did Paul just tell us? That Jesus, who was God, made himself of no reputation. In other words, he, he emptied himself and came as a form of man. He looked like man, he sounded like man, he smelled like man, and it was hot. And they didn't have deodorant. Can you imagine if he had bad breath? They didn't have Altoids back then. 
He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So because of that, therefore, because of what Jesus did, God exalted him. What is Jesus doing right now? In his glorified body is sitting at the right hand of the Father. The glorified body is what every man, woman, and child will have. It's the same thing. He came to earth as a man. He grew in stature. He grew in wisdom. He grew in favor. So we've got to understand, Jesus also had to have faith in God. Now I want to show you a few things today that kind of establish this point. We'll build upon this next week, but I want you to get this. Matthew chapter 4. This is a story you guys are very familiar with. I'm not going to spend a ton of time in this, but I want you to see it. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. This is when Jesus is going to be tempted, okay? This is right after he's baptized by John. This is Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Do you want to be led by the Spirit? Do you want to be led there by the Spirit? Okay. And then he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Do you think that was Spirit-led? How many of y'all want to be led by the Spirit to fast 40 days? And 40 nights. 40 minutes is tough. 40 hours is nearly impossible. 40 days and 40 nights. So this is what the Spirit did. And afterward, he was hungry. And so the tempter came to him, and he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And he answered, It is written, Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, how would we respond to that? If we were in that situation, just looking at us today, forget the fasting for 40 days aspect. The tempt tempter comes to give a temptation. What do we do? We eat. We eat. Do you realize that I can type on an app and have a pizza in 20 minutes? That's the will of God, y'all. There's no question about that. That is God's plan. If you've never used like Uber Eats or anything like that, it is magnificent. Thank you, Jesus, okay? But what I'm telling you is what did he do? He responded with the words of God. What does this tell us? He trusted God's word over his feeling. Was he hungry? It tells us he was hungry. Does even plain old bread sound good when you're hungry? Of course it does. Then the devil took him into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said, it is written again, you should not tempt the Lord your God. So here he is again, temptation number two. He takes him up there and says, all right, prove yourself. You say you're this, prove it. And then he quotes two passages out of Psalm. So he uses the words of God to tempt him from God. And Jesus did what? He trusted what he knew, what was in him. He trusted all that. He said, you should not tempt the Lord your God. He didn't fall for it. Number three is, again, the devil took him on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from, with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. You see, you've got to understand something. What's going on here? Well, he's being tempted in three different ways. He was in all ways tempted like you and I are. Most of us would have failed the temptation. We would have justified it in our mind. But he didn't fall for it. He responded with the words of God, which means he trusted the words of God. But what was it that was so unique in that? Well, it was the fact that he'd fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He was led by the Spirit. Now, what does that tell us? If you're fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, what are you probably doing? You're probably spending an enormous amount of time in prayer. 
you're probably being led by the Spirit in some capacity. And you're probably, at that moment, abiding in Him in a way that you never have before. It's interesting. The, most people don't fast anymore in, in any way because we kind of just wipe that out, especially in American culture because we, just, we are a, a consuming culture. And so most of us don't fast in any way. But if you've ever done an extended fast, it's amazing what begins to happen. Day one is rough. Like it starts off okay, but by the end of the day, it's whoo. And then about day two or three, all the hunger pains begin to go away. And it's something interesting that happens around day four as that clarity begins to go. And you just, if you have nothing else going on, I mean, if you're going to work and doing all that, this is a little different. But I'm talking about setting time aside. Like if you had a two-week vacation, you were going to take off. Something happens when you start spending that much time focused on God. God doesn't change, but your awareness of His presence does. Your awareness of Him inside of you does. Now, the longest fast I've ever done was seven days. I'm probably about due for one here any, any moment now. But, but it's something magical that happens, that it's a, the awareness that takes place. And it's interesting here as we see Jesus, he had to trust God. He had to have faith in God, but he was abiding in him. Look at Matthew chapter 17, verse 22. See, what I'm showing you is the faith that Jesus had. Now, while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and the third day he will be raised up. Now, they were exceedingly sorrowful. Now, Jesus just kind of says that as a matter of fact and, and, and in passing. But if you were knowing what was about to happen, did you have to trust that God would raise you up after three days? Absolutely. He had to have faith in God. Where did he get this information? Well, it was prophesied. It was a well-known fact, but it was prophesied, and he knew that. But he was also connected to God. He was abiding in him. But he had to have faith in him. Okay, you will do what you say you will do. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, what does this say? Looking at Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So in other words, knowing the promise, he endured the suffering because he who promised is faithful. This is the thing we've got to understand. Jesus, as a man, had faith in what God had said and faith in God's promises. Hebrew, or Matthew chapter 11, excuse me, verse 25. It says, at that time, Jesus answered said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight, all things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal. Come to me, all you who labor and are he heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Learn from me. So what is he telling us? Is there anything that Jesus did that we should not look to as an example of which we should follow? No, we learn from him. The burden of walking with the Lord in this world is only a burden when you're not abiding in him. When you are carnally minded and not spiritually minded, when you're focused on the things that you want, the desires, that's why fasting is so powerful. Because eventually, your body begins to shut up, 
and you're only thinking spiritually. Because you may not realize this, but the real you is not what you see in the mirror. That's what houses the real you. The real you is that created spirit made in the image of God. And when that voice begins to speak loudly, that voice and that person is connected with God, it affects this mortal body. It affects everything that we do. Now, I want to show you guys something here in John chapter 11. We have to recognize what Jesus was doing. We have to know why he was on this earth. We have to know the example that he left. In John chapter 11, verse 1, it's the story of Lazarus. Everybody knows this. It says, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, I've told you guys before, this, there were four messianic miracles that they were expecting that only Messiah could perform. This is one of them, that the raising of the dead after the fourth day. I'm not going to go into all of that, but that is what's going on here. He says that the Son of God may be glorified. So that's part of this. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sisters and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, that sounds like something that somebody who loves somebody would do, does it not? No, not at all. Did Jesus have the ability to heal him? Of course he did. Of course he did. See, you're seeing the trust in God, in the Father here. Because most of us would have reacted and said, oh, let's go, let's go pray right now. Which is faith too, don't misunderstand me. But he knew there was a greater purpose here. Verse 7. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus said, are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. And his disciples said, well, Lord, if he sleeps, then he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. And Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I wasn't there, that you may believe, but nevertheless, let us go to him. Okay? Now, they don't want to go. Why do they not want to go? Because they're trying to kill him, and everybody associated with him. And he says, well, Lazarus is sleeping. Oh, sweet. Set the alarm clock. When he wakes up, he'll feel better. So he, as he normally does, all right, morons, he's dead. But he says, I'm glad for your sakes. For whose sake? For their sakes. Because they're going to get to witness something. Now, verse 16, Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his disciples, all right, let us go, that we may die with him. Talking about Jesus, because they know this is what's going to happen when we get there. They're trying to kill you. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. This is the sign of that messianic miracle. They believed that the spirit of a man rested with the body for three days and that he could be raised from the dead. But after the third day, the decomposition is set into the point that the spirit had left and only God himself could raise him up. Verse 18, now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning the brother. And Martha 
as soon as she had heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that uh, whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Was that a true statement that she made? If Jesus had been there, would he have died? No, right? Laid his hand on, spoke the word, whatever he would have done. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, well, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. That means she trusts God as well. She trusts his word, knowing that there was a resurrection of the dead that was coming. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And when she said these things, she, sent, uh, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up and quickly went out, followed her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Another true statement. They knew. Why? They knew that he was Messiah. They knew when Messiah comes, he'll have healing in his wings. They knew that he would be able to take care of this. Verse 33, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. They said, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Another true statement. It's a fair question. Because what are they thinking of? It's over. It's over. They don't have faith that anything's going to happen. It could have happened. He could have done it. But it's over now. Jesus was moved with compassion. He hurts with them. He feels with them. Verse 38, and Jesus said, again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. And it was, the, uh, it was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead for four days. There's the four days again. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. So did, are they demonstrating their trust in Jesus? Yeah, they're moving the stone. You don't believe him, you don't move the stone. What you believe affects what you do. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and watched watch what he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. His face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to loose him and let him go. You know, it took a lot of boldness for Jesus. And what did he do? Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And I know that you always hear me. See, that's the trust. That's trust through experience. Before we saw trust in his word and trust in his promises. But now we're seeing trust in his experiences. He grew in stature and favor with God. See, this is the thing we've got to wrap our head around. Everything that Jesus did, he did as a demonstration to you and I. So no, let's go to John chapter 17. 
because this is somewhat of the crux of what we've been getting at. He says, I do not pray, verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me and through their word, and that all, they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, and the world may believe that you've sent me, and the glory that you gave me I've given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known you, that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the prayer before Jesus went off to be executed on the cross. This is the last prayer. What you see time and time again is that Jesus would get away to pray. He would go and he would spend time with himself. Why is he doing that? He's abiding in the Father. 38 different times it talks about he went off by himself to pray. He went off by himself to pray. And you guys realize we only have a small snippet of the life of Jesus. I mean, I think they, they, they say the entirety of the book of John is 19 days of Jesus' life. That's not very long. Was he aware that the Father was in him? Absolutely. But what was he doing? He's trying to. He's just staying in the Father. I'm just, I'm just in your presence, God. Father, I thank you that you hear me and that you always hear me. See, that's somebody who's abiding in him. You see, faith is everything. Faith is the crux of what we, what we believe, the crux of who we are. Because you have to have faith in God to repent of your sins before Him. You have to have faith in God to trust Him for everything, for anything. You have to have faith in God that what He said actually supersedes the world. Do you guys realize that so many people are waiting for a rapture to take place? That takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of faith to know that when this is all over and we spend our entire lives and we didn't just waste our time on this earth and we're just simply dead and it, our, our lives were pointless, it takes a lot of faith. And we have no problem with that. But the things that affect the here and now don't seem to be working. And I kind of wonder if maybe, just maybe, is because we want God's benefits, but we want God over there. We don't want to abide in Him. In Matthew 17. Verse 14, it says, And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down in him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And so I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Now understand, this, Jesus just spent time in the presence of God just prior to this. His disciples were left there. This is the Mount of Transfiguration. There's all this stuff going on. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Now, why did he get on to them? Because they should have been able to handle this. But they don't believe. Faithless and perverse generation. But he did. He knew. He knew where he was. He knew his authority. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, well, why could we not cast out? And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move up, uh, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. See, 
Prayer and fasting does not make demons go. Prayer and fasting turns your attention to the person inside of you. That's abiding. Did Jesus pray and did he fast? Absolutely. These are the things that Jesus did as an example to you and I and how to live our life. So what I'm saying is, is that maybe the peace that we're missing isn't a lack of faith. It's a lack of doing what he said. Because we believe what God has said, but not enough that it actually influences the way that we live our everyday life. Because if we're to walk as Jesus walked, then why on 38 different times did he go away to be just with the Father and pray? And I guarantee you it was more. Because we didn't capture every story that took place according to John. There was so much more. Because we don't really believe it. We enter into a time of prayer and go through our list of things to pray for, but we're not trying to get close for God. We're trying to get things. We're trying to get stuff. We're trying to maybe get the Spirit to come upon us as if we don't have Him already. Oh, Lord, give me your anointing as if we're not already anointed. Lord, give me your power as if that power's not inside of us. Lord, give me this, give me that as if it's not already there. What if we just need to spend time abiding in His presence, abiding in Him? See, James chapter 2, verse 20 says, But do you want to know, O foolish man, faith without works is dead. Faith without works. In other words, what you believe ought to be affecting your actions. And if your actions don't match your talk, then maybe what you say isn't really what you believe. Is it at least possible? See, this is where we begin to get over the hump so to speak. We begin to change things a little bit and do things a little bit differently. This is the moment where we begin to say, all right, God, I just want to be with you. I want all that you have for me. I want everything that you give me, and I want to do everything that you told me I could do. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I said, all right, well, how many people shared their faith this week? At least once. I'd be very surprised if the entire room raised their hand. I'd also be very surprised if you said there wasn't an opportunity. I'd be very surprised. I've asked how many people went out to pray for somebody who was sick this week. I'd be very surprised at how many people actually raised their hand. I'd also be very surprised if there wasn't an opportunity. You see, it's just a matter of abiding. It's a matter of doing and, and, and confidently like, all right, God, this is what you have. And so as we wrap this up today, we're going to do a couple of things. We're going to pray for you. I know you've been, in fact, Amy wanted to, would you go get your mom for me? She wanted to pray for you too. But he's been having some hip problems. We're going to pray for him. Is there anybody else that wants prayer while we're praying for people? You don't have to come up here. I'll come to you. Or whatever you want. What do you want to do? You want to climb up on stage? You want to play the drums a little? Oh, okay. All right. Do you play a a guitar solo if you want? I'm cool with that. So, anybody? (laughs) Please don't. No singing either? No. Yeah, it's just. Maybe his last week. So, uh, but but we're going to do what God said. It says that when 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 there is somebody that is hurting, there's somebody that's sick that we'll even lay hand on the sick. We see them recover, and we're going to pray the life of God into you. And that's what we're here to do. So, anybody wants to come join me? We're going to come over here to him, just to make it a little easier on him. You can come wherever you want. You want to come up here? All right, he's coming up here. You tired of sitting? Probably tired of listening to me talk too. I get that. So, who, come on up. Let's. We're going to pray for him. Whoever wants to. Now we don't have to.
Three months. And what exactly did you do? Pull start in a four wheeler. You know they make key start four wheelers. Oh, batteries did. They make battery chargers, but whatever. There's solutions. So, um, and it's been an enormous amount of pain. And there for a while, you couldn't even walk, right? They haven't figured out what it is. And then I got, I think it was a, I got a specialist come in and the ones that, here we go. The first one comes in and says, he probably won't come. He probably won't come in. That's right. Well, we're just going to believe you don't need him. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you. First of all, Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your promises. We thank you that you are always faithful to your promises, Lord. And we thank you, just like Jesus did. We thank you, Lord, that when we pray, you hear us. You always hear us. There's never a time that you don't hear us. And so, Lord, as we come up here to lay hands on him, we thank you that your promise is that by your stripes we are healed. We thank you for complete and total restoration. We thank you for the life of God flowing through him. We release it now. We release your power now into his hip and any other part that may be hurting. Whatever it is, Lord, we just drive it out now in the name of Jesus. We command it to go. Any spirit of infirmity, we command you to go right now in Jesus' name. We are standing on the promises that we are your hands, we are your feet, Lord. And so just as you would lay hands on people, we lay hands on people. And so, Lord, we thank you for your power flowing through him right now. It's your life flowing through him right now. We thank you for completely healing his hip, just as you have promised. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your compassion. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your power. Lord, thank you that we are made right by you. Everything in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We give you glory. Now, moving around a little bit, just see. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. That's okay. We all need help. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's hard sometimes. Sometimes we just got to step out. I just want to throw a prayer in there also that the doctor, I'm sure whoever this is, they can figure it out. Sure. We're going to need his help too. Absolutely. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your power. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Absolutely. His word never returns void. We're just standing with him. We promise. And just moving around and keep trusting God. Keep trusting God. I'm sure. We just believe with each step it'll get a little less sore. If that were me, I'd want a sore hip so I don't have to. Tomorrow I'll be out shoveling. 
<laughs> Anybody else real quick while we're, we're up here? Not that's great. You? Okay. Okay. Um, well, I would like to. He's he's calling us to this week. Okay. And uh, if there's holding agreement, I'd like to hear what you and how you think um, anyway. Um, I just ask that money comes in and all that. Sure. Sure. Well, you want to pray? That's my need. Yeah. You want to pray? Well, go ahead. Let's pray. We'll stand <laughs> with you. Yes, Lord. Bring a healing hand to a sick body if there's a hospital bed. Let it be. Lord, take it away from this body and this sick body. And uh, if he won't need to be uh, able to be there for whatever reason, Lord, bring healing in his body. And uh, be willing to pray for him and be willing to You're welcome. Amen. Continue praying for them. And uh, I'm going to pray, close this out, but I want to pray a blessing over the congregation as we go into the new year. Um, you know, new year, lots of stuff going on. We're just, we're just going to go to the Lord. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word and your promises, Lord. I just thank you that 2024 will be a year of more. Not because it rhymes, just because it's your promise, Lord. We thank you, Father, that you continue to bless those who are so faithful to you, Lord. And all that they do, not just in giving, Lord, but in every part of their life. And I thank you that you continue to increase our awareness of who you are, Lord. That you convict our hearts of the areas that we need to change and the sins that maybe are befalling us, Lord. But that we draw closer to you, knowing that you are always there, that you are always with us. I thank you, Lord, that you're bringing us as a congregation into a new level with you, Lord. That we're not settling for the status quo, Lord. But I thank you that you are bringing us up to a greater revelation of who you are and your promises. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that everything that you promise is yes and amen to him who believes. And so, Lord, we just stand on your word. And I thank you for your continued blessings on all of those that call this place home. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday.